Worship is all for God's pleasure, and God is most pleased when we take pleasure in Him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come, enjoy me. You're listening to the listener-supported program of the Bread of Life, sponsored by the Outreach Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our overseas ministries or our work in our community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Join us now as we turn hungry for God's Word. Here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews chapter 13.10 says that the Christian has an altar from which they can eat that doesn't belong to those who worship at temples of religious formula and moral regulations. The point is that, as Christians, we come under the saving grace of Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, we're not proving ourselves worthy of a saving by being religious or even by being good. At the foot of the cross, we are bowing and only saying, we are unworthy, but here is found mercy and here is found grace. In fact, there is no other place to find mercy and grace for your sins than at the cross. This is our second point, by the way. The location of the altar where God has met has changed. Christ has established an altar for us outside the ground of the law. It is now found at the foot of the cross. As we said, the grace of God is the activated love of God poured out on us unmerited through the cross of Jesus Christ. And to know the full measure of that grace, that saving grace of God, that grace that brings us into a restored relationship with God, that allows us to know the grace of God's forgiveness and God's peace, the freedom of a conscience that no longer feels the condemnation of its sin, companionship with God, spiritual wholeness before God, spiritual vitality and the promise of unending life, the ability to swim and to live and to move and breathe within the context of that unmerited grace through this lamb. You can only find it when you go to the altar of his cross. You must claim all that you receive and all the grace you receive by laying your hands upon his head and recognize that he's the lamb who's died in your stead and fully identifying with his suffering as the suffering you deserve, claiming his death as your death, receiving his life as your only hope of life. This is all open for you, but it's open for you only at the altar of the cross. That's why Christians and the Christian church can never and will never get away from this altar. It's the reason why there are crosses before our buildings or there are crosses that are represented inside of our building. We preach beneath this cross. We live beneath this cross. It's our altar. It's the place where God pours out His grace upon us. We can never leave there. Some people might say, Joel, you're being too literal. I mean, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He's no longer on that cross. It's just a spiritual truth you're to appropriate to yourself, but you can get beyond it. Get into resurrection life. Don't worry about that. Move on to the power He gives you to do whatever you want to do and live a vital life. Did you know that throughout eternity, the dying, suffering lamb will always be before us? Throughout eternity. If you trusted and believed in him, yes, Christ has risen today. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and John had a vision of him. His eyes were as fire, and his feet were burning bronze, and out of his mouth came the voice of many oceans, and he fell as if he were dead before him. He's transcendent, and he's mighty, and he's powerful, and he's glorious. John was given another vision 
of Jesus in Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 5. And there he looked to see, as was being announced to him, the one who was coming as the conquering Savior and King, the Messiah, the Lion of Judah, who had been given the right to reign and rule over all the world and had been given the power to exert his sovereignty over the expression of all of history. And John looked to see this Lion King as he appeared in the midst of his universal throne. And John, with his eyes, tells us that what he saw was a lamb, as though it had been slain. Listen to me. The crucified Christ, the altar of his cross, his sacrifice for our sins, will forever mark our way into fellowship with God. The unending future that we anticipate as believers in Jesus Christ with its unending joys and its unending worship and its unending explorations of his incalculable glory will always come to us by way of the cross and the Lamb that was slain for our sins. Every good thing yet to be forever and ever enjoyed in heaven, and in heaven it's all good, will come to us as unmerited grace received by way of the cross of Christ. Or it will not come to us at all. It will always come by way of the Lamb. It will always call upon us in joy and gratitude even as we bow before our King to lay our hands upon the head of our sacrifice who came and died in our place. Let's review these first two points then from our passage. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What we said is you cannot serve the law and at the same time be set free by God's grace. Those who rest in the law cannot partake in God's saving grace. You can't worship at two altars at the same time. There's only one altar where the grace of God is flowing, and that's at the cross of Christ. Again, if you're thinking, if you're bowing at the altar of religious works or legal good behavior, if you're thinking that your sacrifice and your efforts in any way makes you worthy before God, you're at the wrong altar, and you're still separated from God, and you don't have His saving grace, and you don't know fellowship with Him. That's just the case. The second thing we said is the location of the altar where God is met has changed. Christ has established an altar for us outside the ground of the law, and it's found at the foot of the cross. Here's two more points, and I'll make these very quickly. The third point is this. Those who depart from the normal human strategies of acquiring a right standing for themselves through human effort, you know, those who depart from this idea that I'll prove my worthiness by my effort, by my works, who leave the temples and the cities and the camps of works righteousness to go to the cross will bear the reproaches of this world. Ah, people will praise you if you can just put forth a good effort. But you cast yourself wholly on Jesus Christ alone, not on your effort, not on your dignity, not on your, what you're trying to do. I'm doing my best. People like that. You know, I'm trying as hard as I can. Oh, that's wonderful. Good for you. I've given up trying. I'm casting myself on Jesus. I have no hope other than Him. What? What? Do you know what kind of moral ruin comes in the world when you stop trying to be a good person? I remember it. On occasion when I was witnessing to a man of another belief, faith, system, I found out what altar he's worshiping at. I told him that Jesus Christ had bore all of our sins, that we couldn't be saved by any of our good works. His response to me is, if I believed that was the good news and that was the gospel, it would be the end of all moral behavior in the world. It would be the end of all good behavior because no one would have any motive or incentive to be good people. The world would fall apart. 
Go back to trying your best to be a good person and earn your salvation. That's what keeps the world going together. You're a danger. Your message is dangerous. Reproach. Reproaches. If you give up the human strategy of acquiring your right standing for yourself through your own efforts, and you leave the temples and the city and the camp of works righteousness to go to the cross, you're going to have to bear the reproach of this world. It's going to happen. They despise it. They want to be able to say at the end of their life, I did something right. I did something good. I was better. Don't you in any way imply that I don't have in me what it takes by saying that it's all by grace alone at the cross, a bloody cross of one who came 2,000 years ago to die in my place. You'll be reproached. Receive those approaches gladly. Number four, you are going out from human self-righteousness to go forth to Jesus Christ, who is all righteousness and all holiness. Listen to me. You're going out from the self-effort after human righteousness, and you're going forth to him who is all righteousness and all holiness. There is an answer to the person who says you're going to introduce moral corruption in the world if you believe somehow you're not saved by your own good works. The answer is this, yeah, but you don't know where I'm heading. I'm heading to the perfect one, the absolute righteous one, the pure and sinless one, the old holy one. I'm leaving my own effort and I'm going to him. And no one but those who go to Christ can come near to the moral beauty and glory of holiness that is found in Jesus Christ and that is crossed. Jesus Christ who became sin for us and was offered up outside the city for us was there at the cross that we partake of Him. He takes our sins and He leaves behind for us all of His goodness and righteousness. And we eat and we drink as Jesus taught of His flesh and His blood. We take in His holy life and He works within us a beauty of holiness that surpasses all of our efforts and all of our struggling to be good people. He produces within us Holiness that surpasses the limitations of the law that were written on stones or in books. He writes that law of grace-filled godliness in our hearts as we come to Jesus Christ and we partake of Him by grace. He writes Himself in our hearts by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the spring or fountain of life begins to pulsate and flow through our being. And for us, it's glory. As a result, we begin to commune with Him in the beauty the gracious, outpoured beauty of His holiness. Hmm. We are bringing moral glory into the world when we get away from trying to establish the moral glory in ourselves by our efforts. And we bow at the foot of the cross where the most glorious one died for our sins and became sin for us. And we give up all of our efforts and receive His gift of grace, washing us and cleansing us and forgiving us because of his sufferings, and he, we allow him to pour his life into us, and we eat of him. And at that moment, surprisingly, the minute we stop seeking to gain our own moral advantage, we're filled with the moral glory of Jesus. We shine as stars. It's all found in him. It's what the world needs. Let's abandon the wrong altars of works and labor and effort and trying to please. Let's go to the cross. Let's live there.
Let's share it with others. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe this is a radical thought for you. You've never thought it. You thought somehow that even being here today, you were gaining some credit with God. As if you could. The thought here is all of your standing before God, all of your right to be restored into fellowship with Him comes from repenting of your sin and repenting of any confidence in your own goodness whatsoever, whatever it is, whatever you've done. It's by faith, exercising your will to reach out and say, Jesus, I put my hand upon your head as my sacrifice for sins. O sinless one dying in my place, a wretched, wretched sinner whose righteousness and even my good deeds are soiled completely before you. Oh, God, have mercy on me for Jesus' sake. That's what you say. I accept, I receive, I embrace in this confession you as my only hope. I rest all of my life upon you, dear Savior, and lay myself down at this altar. And oh, God, Here is where I will live. Here is where I will live. It's the prayer of life. It's the prayer of salvation. It's the prayer where unending grace is opened up upon you. If you've not said it before in one way or another, why don't you say it today? Thanks for joining us at Bread of Life. To learn more about our work around the world, go to cpeonline.org or to learn about our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.